Amen. Thank you so much, Tim. I also want to thank Tim for just helping put together this, this, the framework for this teaching series we've been enjoying so far, so far called Reforming Church. Um, I'm a bit less grateful that I've been landed with the, the topic of the temple and trying to uh, help us all to understand the grand narrative of, of what temple means for us and do it in sort of 20 to 25 minutes. But I'm going to try my best. Uh, I might be speaking a bit fast today, but here goes. Temples are beautiful. Cathedrals are beautiful. And all through history, God has used um, people uh, who have dedicated their lives to creating these beautiful buildings. And some have done that to the glory of Jesus. Some have done that for other gods. And you might be thinking, what on earth does temples have to do with my faith in Jesus and my life of worship? Well, what they all seem to represent is a desire in the heart of men and women for the reality of the presence of God. And although we can honor the dedication of many who have created these lovely buildings, the temple has really not much to do with buildings. It's the place where God decides and chooses to dwell with his people. And the passage I want to frame this talk on is Ephesians 2, verse 19 to 22. It should come up on your screen. And it says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become the dwelling place where God lives by his spirit. Before we try and work out the significance of what this might mean for us, deciding what needs to be reformed in our mindset, we first need an understanding of something about temples in the Bible um, from Genesis to Revelation. So I'm going to quickly try and do a whistle-stop tour um, of what the Bible says about temples. And uh, I'm not going to give myself too much time for that. Uh, I've got a clock at the back telling me how, how fast I can go. So here goes. The first temple was not a building, but a garden, and not created by human hands, but by our Father God in heaven. In Genesis 2, we read that God created this garden called Eden, uh, and the Hebrew translation for that word is probably something like delight, and God made it, it was beautiful, refreshing, full of trees and flowers, rivers originated from it and flowed out for the blessing of everything around it. And then God put the man in the garden. Adam was given the job of working and keeping, gardening and guarding. And these words here for working and keeping were also used to describe the job of the Levite priest much later on when the, when the temple in Jerusalem was built. Uh, their job of ministering and serving and guarding. Adam and Eve were maintaining the sanctity of the garden. They were, in a sense, the first priests. And the garden was where God dwelt among humankind. He rules and reigns in heaven, but he somehow chooses to dwell with his people. I mean, that should just blow our minds just in itself. In Genesis 3, verse 8, it says that the Lord God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. 
And that passage was actually after Adam and Eve had sinned and they were hiding from God. But what it seems to suggest is there was a pattern of God communing with his creation regularly, consistently throughout the day. It's where God met with humankind and from where all blessing and refreshment go out to the rest of the world. Tragically, the temple was spoiled by sin. God tested Adam and Eve's heart's desire, their trust and devotion in him. The one who alone could provide everything that they needed for life and fruitfulness. But instead they chose to be satisfied with themselves and with other things. And they were banished, separated from the dwelling place of God. The role of guarding the presence was removed from them and given to the cherubim. And now sacrifices would need to be made in order for them to re-enter the dwelling place of God again. But God doesn't give up. He has in mind a way of reconciling us to him, a way of dealing with our sin. We see God's desire to always be dwelling with these people, pursuing a relationship with us. Because he knows that his presence is what we need for flourishing and fruitfulness. And we see this desire of God in the story of Egypt, the rescue of God's people from bondage. Why? So that they could go and worship him again. God overcomes death for the Israelites, his people, through the sacrifice of a lamb for each household that overcame the plague that brought death to all the firstborn in Egypt. And the blood of the lamb was put on the wooden beams, the doorposts. And because of that sacrifice, Israel was saved and God draws him back, them back to another temple experience with him. But Israel continues to sin even while Moses is visually encountering God on a mountain, billows, billows of smoke coming from there, and yet the people themselves decide that a counterfeit God is better, one made in, with human hands. They didn't realize the significance of having the presence of God with them. Their hunger and their desire was fickle. But Moses was different. He realized the importance of having the dwelling place of God among the people. And in Exodus, he pleads with God and says, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us out from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else is going to distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord replies, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then... God draws even closer in the setting up of the tabernacle, this tent where God chooses to dwell um, with his people. And God's instructions for the tabernacle kind of hark back to the first temple. There are so many images in this new temple that remind his people of the first creation. Fruit trees, flowers, gold, perfume, the menorah symbolizing the tree of life, the um, the cherubim over the Ark of the Covenant, all these things showing God's desire to draw his people back to himself. But the more obvious thing that comes out of looking at this whole tabernacle experiences is the weight and significance of our sin on how we're able to enter back into the presence of God. It was a bloodbath. It was like a purification station. I'm sure all of you are getting sick of washing your hands and sanitizing every single place you kind of walk into. You have nothing on the Israelites. These guys, it was tenfold from what we are all kind of starting to get used to. 
And this tent was divided up into these three parts. There was the outer courts, and then there was the inner courts or the holy place. And then there was this huge curtain which separated those two parts from the holy of holies. And the holy of holies could not be entered into by anyone other than the high priest. And only once a year on the Day of Atonement. And he wasn't even able to go in until the ritual sacrifice, which symbolized the whole nation's sin, was put on a scapegoat. And that scapegoat was then sent into the wilderness to die on behalf of the people. And then another animal had to be sacrificed just for the sins of the high priest. Only then could the high priest enter into the Holy of Holies. Sin is devastating to our relationship with God. Only the pure can enter in. But it's a good job the story wasn't finished there. Finally, the stone temple is built by Solomon, um, designed by his father David, and on the blueprint, blueprint of the tabernacle. Tabernacle. Sorry, I'm, my words mixed up. This was the greatest era in Israel's history. God reveals himself again with a pillar of fire and cloud, a symbol of him dwelling again with his people. But very, very quickly, idolatry, sexual immorality, corruption spread. King after king after king, failing morally. Even while they ensuring the maintaining of the temple and the sacrificial system is being kept. In their hearts and in their homes, other gods are moving in and taking residence. Israel is then exiled from Babylon. The temple is completely destroyed. But a young prophet named Ezekiel, he has this vision of the temple in Babylon with the people. And that vision almost suggesting that the temple is moving away from Jerusalem. That would have been massively offensive to the Jewish people of the time. He also has another vision of a new temple where with impossible supernatural measurements of rivers going out from this place and growing deeper and deeper for the healing of dead places and dark places. Then a remnant from exile then starts to rebuild the temple back in Jerusalem, but it is nothing on Solomon's temple. And then finally, King Herod builds a magnificent building, in the, the best magnificent building in Jesus' day, the temple rebuilt. And the people think, all we need now is the Messiah to come and overthrow the Romans. Done deal. You with me still? That was my little whistle-stop whistle tour. Enter Jesus. Jesus didn't really go for temples that much. There are probably many reasons for this. He was very, very good at discerning the state of people's hearts. And if he didn't find love for God there, it didn't matter how magnificent a building was and how well it facilitated sacrifice and offerings and burning of incense and lovely singing, if there wasn't a hunger after God, if there wasn't a thirst for righteousness, then he wasn't interested. But the main reason why he didn't really go for temples is because he was the temple. He was the promised temple that was prophesied about. Now, the presence of God, where God met with these people, was Jesus. 
And literally no one understood this. It was so foreign to the Jewish people. How can a person be the dwelling place of God unless they are God? And Jesus would offend so many by saying things like, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. Talking about his own body, his death and resurrection. He said to the Samaritan woman, believe me woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. He was now the temple. The temple was now on the streets. Not in Jerusalem. No longer stuck to buildings. He was healing people, saving people, forgiving sins. You know, non-Jewish people, Gentiles as they refer to, and to be honest, most of us in this room and those watching online would be put into the camp of, of Gentiles. They were allowed into the, the court of the nations when it came to the temple. But woe were you if you decided to go any further than that. There were literally signs and placards everywhere that would say, you are taking your life into your own hands if you dare walk closer to the presence of God. But Jesus said, but I, when I am lifted up on the earth, will draw all people to myself. He became the only pure and spotless lamb. To deal with the devastating sin in our lives. That thing that separated us from God. His blood was found on the wooden beams. Not of doorposts, but of a splintered cross. The altar, now forever symbolized in the cross. The perfect lamb cried out, Father, forgive them. He overcame death on our behalf through his resurrection once and for all. And the curtain of the Holy of Holies was torn in two from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top. Not because of some people uprising trying to get into the Holy of Holies. No, from top to bottom. God's initiative to allow man back into his presence. Now we worship through the new temple, Jesus Christ. Because and only because when we believe in his name and decide to follow him, we are in Christ. His righteousness, his purity is now ours. And we are allowed in. Now I think that's pretty good news. Yeah? That's the gospel, isn't it? But you know, it gets even better than that. Jesus promises his Holy Spirit. And at Pentecost, God comes down, like in earlier temples, but now with tongues of fire, a symbol of God dwelling again, but not falling on a place or a building, but on his people. And not just for the Jews, but for the nations. Tongues falling, the, the spiritual language falling on the disciples, and people from all nations and languages hearing the praise of God in their native tongue this now is for all people young and old this is staggering where is the dwelling place of God is it somewhere here in the building is it part of this or that no it's you and it's five seats away from you and it's all of you online at home you are no less the temple than we are here in this place we are now the dwelling place of God it is now the church, gathered and scattered for the sake of the kingdom, bringing his presence and light into every sphere 
of influence. What can we possibly take now away from this thing about temples? What needs to be reformed in our minds? I want to suggest two things for us as individuals and two things for us as the church body. First thing for us as individuals. How are you doing in your Babylon? You know, tomorrow morning you're going to step outside your front door probably and go to school or go to university or go into your workplace or open your laptop to colleagues and peers and start interacting there. There is a temple there and it's you. That should overwhelm us with confidence. What a privilege that we are the temple in those places. We must never get into the mindset of thinking that Sunday is our kind of God presence kind of fix, and then we leave the presence there and sort of grit our teeth going into Monday. That's not the way God ever intended. Jesus took the temple onto the streets, and now he has made us temples of the Holy Spirit. But there is a danger that you forget that we have a responsibility to garden and guard the temple. Don't hold it lightly. Cultivate this place where God dwells by his spirit. Meeting with him in the cool of the day. Being saturated with the presence of God. Being filled with his power. Why? Because we are to be the blessings to the nations. We are called to be powerful witnesses, bringing light into dark and dead places, bringing healing and salvation to a lost and dying world. We are many temples being built together with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. The second challenge I want to bring, the second challenge of being a house of God is that there may be other things in your house. What else is in your house? Everyone knows the story of Zacchaeus, remember? The tax collector fiddled money out of his own people. When Jesus met Zacchaeus, he said to him, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. And in that moment, Zacchaeus knew that there was stuff in his house that couldn't possibly stay in his house if God was going to make that his dwelling place. And in a moment... His life was changed. He removed those things from outside of his house so that Jesus not only could go in and perch on the side of the sofa and find a little spot, but but where Jesus could be everywhere. And that everything in that house would have to bow the knee to the enthroned one, Jesus Christ. Where are there things in your house? I can't have the temple watching certain things. I can't have the temple saying certain things or doing certain things. And that's not Jesus throwing a rule book at you or a checklist. (laughs) Instead, you know what he does? He makes you a temple of the Holy Spirit. Our consciences awaken to him. And he empowers us to live a life which looks like his life, marked by the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. I've probably forgotten a few. We are now the dwelling place 
of God and he empowers us to live a life for him. Is sin still reigning in your house? I feel that today there might be a day to stop surrendering to sin and start surrendering to Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, we know it well. It says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Wow. Whoever said that following Jesus was for the (laughs) faint-hearted? It takes guts to follow Jesus. In fact, it's only when you lose your life to him you'll find it. And what you find is power from on high to live a supernatural life. Seeking after his presence. Hungering and thirsting for his righteousness. Okay, what does it mean for us as a church community? Building the church, the living stones together, is not easy. Having a meeting, yeah, it's pretty easy. Although Mike, our tech manager's jaw just dropped. Okay, during COVID, it's a bit more tricky, right? But good band, average preacher, good meeting, yeah? I'm being flippant, I know. But being truly built together with people who don't see things the way you see things, people who offend you and more likely who you offend, is really, really hard. You know, when Paul talked about being built together, he didn't have in mind what we see today, lovely bricks with like this layer of cement between the two. What he had in mind is stones of different sizes having to be knocked together and the chips literally going everywhere so that these stones could be built together. That's why we believe in life groups. That's why we believe in doing life genuinely together. That's why we believe in serving and doing mission together. Not because we need people to do stuff, but because chips fall off when we do that kind of stuff together. That's why we believe in membership, about putting our roots down deep, becoming brothers and sisters, not just acquaintances, that when the going gets tough and it gets a bit heavy, You just pull away. That's why we're resourcing another meeting, because we cannot be built together if there's no connection. You know, online church is an incredible opportunity for us to connect with people who can't be here right now. I'm so glad that so many of you guys are able to engage this morning. And it's a great missional opportunity for us, because... People's first step towards Christianity is probably not walking through a church building. But, and, and we will continue doing online broadcasting. It'll be something with us for the future when we'll put good hard work into it and resourcing. But it is never, ever going to be a substitute. It's never going to be a substitute for, for doing life together, for being built together. Our journey of becoming more like Jesus depends on being with each other. We are being built together to become the dwelling place of God, a city on a hill, a light to the nations, God's ultimate plan for his kingdom expansion. Finally, whenever we do meet together, whether it's gathered or scattered, we should expect a temple experience. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them.
Does that mean we should expect a, a pillar of fire or cloud when we meet? Well, that'd be pretty awesome. It'd probably test our fire evacuation procedure pretty well. But actually, God has given gifts of the Spirit as a manifestation of His presence. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, it says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Joel 2, 28, we know this well. I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. We don't believe the gifts of the Spirit ceased or became less useful after the New Testament canon was put together. We believe they are for now. Tongues, prophecy, words of knowledge, gifts of wisdom and discernment, interpretation of, con- of tongues, etc., etc. They are all for now. But Sean, doesn't that mean it's going to get really, really messy? Doesn't that mean we open ourselves up to some wacky stuff? Yeah. That's why Paul had to have words with the Corinthians. <laughs> Because they lacked leadership and order, and no one was being edified or encouraged at all. But if these are truly gifts of the Holy Spirit, and a demonstration of him with us, then surely we need to be asking that they are demonstrated among us. The presence of God is not a means to an end. It is the end goal. It's our final destination. Are you thirsty and hungry for the dwelling place of God right now? Are you desperate to be with the other stones, the church, where he inhabits the praises of his people? If this COVID season has taught me anything, it's that I need the presence of God so much more in my life. And that you guys are the best ingredient for me to experience that. Us together. We need the manifestation of the, of the Spirit. We need to wait and rest in our times of worship together and see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. We need words of encouragement or prophetic words from Bernie and Katie and John and, and many people that God has poured out these gifts on. We need a spiritual tongue from Dino. We need the Holy Spirit. I want to invite the band up. And, uh, and they're just going to help just lead us in a moment in a song but before we start singing we just want to give I just want to give some time over to listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us right now let's just be open I'm not trying to stir up a Holy Spirit moment or anything like that I just want to surrender our time to him Holy Spirit, not that we need to somehow give you any permission, but just as a sign of us being open to you, we just want to say, have your way right now. I pray for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit on us. I pray for a baptism of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would come now and rekindle a hunger and a thirst for your presence. Thank you for what you're already doing today in this place. God, thank you for Katie's word this morning, just so rich and resonating for us right now in this place.
God, I pray for anyone that needs strongholds broken of sin in their life. Will you come and do a work right now? That you would be enthroned in your temple. God, breathe on us. Breathe on us, we pray. Let's just continue to let God minister to you us as, as the band just starts singing over us. This is just a moment for you and God in this place. If you feel like you need specific one-to-one prayer this morning, we have a prayer team that is ready to pray with you. Don't be shy. Let's get some stuff sorted out in this place today. Let's worship.